Hi, welcome to After the Crisis with Victoria. On this podcast, we talk about stress, trauma, plain old bad days, and how those events impact the way in which we walk through the world. Everyone needs to be heard, and I am here to listen. Together, we will find realistic, healthy ways to turn our setback into a comeback. If you're a person who has ever endured difficult times, which have left you feeling disconnected from your authentic self, a little bruised, or even a little broken, this podcast is for you. Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining me today on this episode of After the Crisis with Victoria English Martin. I am Victoria, and it's a really special day because I have a mentor who has agreed to be my guest today. Her name is Annie Grace. And before we get started, Annie, I just want to thank you for doing what you've done and for being so vulnerable with your story and just from the bottom of my heart, I thank you for helping me learn some things and look at the world differently. And you've profoundly changed my life. So I'll just start with that. So I think that should pique some interest out there for anyone listening. But let me tell you a little bit about Annie. Annie Grace is the author of This Naked Mind, Control Alcohol, Find Freedom, Discover Happiness and Change Your Life, and The Alcohol Experiment, a 30-day alcohol-free challenge to interrupt your habits and help you take control. This is interesting. Annie grew up outside of Aspen, Colorado in a one-room log cabin without running water or electricity. Having discovered a passion for marketing, Annie earned her Master's of Science in Marketing and went into corporate life. As the youngest vice president in a multinational company at the age of 26, her drinking career began in earnest. At 35, in a global sea marketing role, she was responsible for marketing in 28 countries. She was drinking almost two bottles of wine a night, having not been a heavy drinker earlier in life. Knowing she needed a change, but unwilling to submit to a life of deprivation and stigma, Annie embarked on a journey to painlessly gain control of alcohol. For her, that process resulted in no longer wanting to drink. Never happier, she left her executive role to write and share this naked mind with the world. In her free time, she loves to ski, travel, she's been to 26 countries and counting, and enjoy her beautiful family. 24-7 right now, Annie. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Annie lives with her husband and three beautiful children in the Colorado mountains. So thank you, Annie, for being here. I'm so grateful on a personal level and just grateful that I get to help share your message. Oh, thanks for having me, Victoria. It's an honor. It's really fun. Yeah, this is great. So we were just laughing before we started recording about the joys of 24-7 parenthood and juggling work and all the things laundry. Annie said she made a grocery list and there were no potatoes available to make with her dinner, but they did offer to substitute popcorn. So <laughs> we were just laughing at some of the some of the craziness that's happening in the world. And all you can do is just kind of keep a sense of humor about it. But Annie, I thank you for being here and just take a moment and share a little bit about your story, about this naked mind, the methodology, and most importantly, how it translates into everyday life. So whether it's alcohol or other habits, talk to me. 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's, it's such a crazy time. I saw a meme yesterday and it was like, wait, what? You had a bag of chips for breakfast. And then the parent is like, oh, does that mean I don't have to cook? Okay. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> you know, it's just like one of those things where all of these standards we've had for ourselves are just kind of going out the window. And, and ironically, and I think this really ties into what this naked mind is, is it's about questioning the things that we have really believe to be true that may not be true, right? Like, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, it might not be true that everything has to be perfect in our house for our kids to feel loved. It might not be true right. that alcohol really relaxes you. And so for me, my journey kind of in a nutshell was that I didn't drink a lot in college. I got married, moved a week later to New York City, and I was taken by the colleagues, my new colleagues, brand new girl in the office building. I was working for Chase at the time. I was taken for a happy hour and I went down and um, ordered. I didn't know what to order. And so I ordered a Cosmopolitan because I assumed that's what people in New York do. That's not what people in New York really do. But I had been watching too much Sex in the City and didn't know anything. This is like my third Same. day in New York City. <laughs> <laughs> and so Same. they like look at me and they're like, okay, sure. You could order that, whatever. And it was just kind of a moment. Yeah. Anyhow, we get the bill and it was like 25 bucks. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not doing that anymore. So yeah. fast forward like six, eight months and I'd gotten a new job. I was working in a different environment and this company was headquartered in London. So all the higher ups would kind of come into town from the UK and they'd always have, every time somebody from the UK was in town, it would be all these after work events. And I never went to any of them. And my boss was like, why aren't you showing up? And I was like, oh, I don't really drink. And he's like, oh, no, no, it's not about the drinking. It's about the fact that like, that's where the deals are done. That's where your ideas are going to be heard. Like, you're not going to get FaceTime with these people during the day. You need to show up if you care about your career. And so I was like, okay, mm. well, I don't really care about drinking or not drinking. I didn't have any opinion about it, but I did care about my job and I did care about my career. Right. And so I had a method. I'd show up and I'd drink a glass of water and a glass of wine and a glass of water and a glass of wine. And then a lot of times, Victoria, if I felt too tipsy because I didn't never wanted to be tipsy or out of control. I knew that would be devastating to my career. Right. I would right. go throw the last glass of wine up in order to keep drinking more wine. Wow. And so I started doing that at a really young age, like 26, um, 27. And fast forward a decade. And I mean, there's obviously a lot that happened within that decade and we can get into it. But fast forward a decade, I was now had been promoted many times. I was now global head of marketing. I was in charge of 28 countries. I was flying internationally twice a month and spending huge chunks of time living in the UK with my family where this company was headquartered. And I was drinking pretty much two bottles of wine a night. Mm. I'd stopped buying the bottle and was buying the box, you know, the one with four bottles and one box because I didn't want to know Absolutely. that, that mm -hmm. one <laughs> bottle had been drank. I can relate. <laughs> I thought it was brilliant. It was, yeah, I'm like, no, because I would always be like, my husband, is he going to drink more of the bottle? And I try to like pour more and make sure I got my a little more than my fair share. And then we discovered the boxes and I'm like, this is fabulous. And so anyway, I did what most people do when they kind of realize like, wow, I think I'm, I think I'm drinking too much. Mm -hmm. And, and the, the signs for me were a few. I mean, one was I was having a lot of anxiety in the middle of the night mm -hmm. and I'd wake up in this kind of full on panic of like, oh my gosh, what did I do? What did I say? Who, like, what happened? How much did I drink? Mm -hmm. And I'd be awake and it would just be this misery. And that happened every night. And mm -hmm. then I'd wake up the next morning and it would be like, okay, what? 
well, when's it five o'clock? It was as if I was almost two separate people. You know, one of the people inside of me was like, what are you doing? Do you see what's happening in your life? Mm-hmm. Is this who you want to be? And the other person is like, whoa, 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 you shut up because this is the only way I know how to keep my life together right now. Like this is the duct tape that's keeping my whole life together. And so it was just this huge inner conflict. And I, I like to talk about this because I think it puts a really good frame on it for people is that like, if we see conflict on the other side of the street, right, we, we watch somebody fighting or say we see a Facebook post and somebody's complaining about a fight they got in with their kids or their yeah. husband, like it makes us feel something. We feel it, right? Mm-hmm. But if it's in our house and we're the ones involved in the conflict, we feel it all the more mm. and we overlook this. But if it's internal, we just have gotten so used to fighting with ourselves about all sorts of stuff, whether it's, you know, right now we're fighting with ourselves because my kids shouldn't be on so many electronics or because I'm not the best stay at home mom. Or we see some post on Instagram about somebody who has this color coded calendar and we like start comparing ourselves and, and we're getting mad at ourselves. And here's this, this person inside of us doing the best they possibly can with the tools they have. And then here's this big judgmental, you're doing it all wrong voice. And yes, and we just, We're so used to this inner conflict that we just take it for granted. But I really realized that like, wow, that inner conflict is the pain. Like that's the pain. And then as a drinker, what do I do to escape pain? I drink more. Mm -hmm. And so I had this moment where I was like, wow, what if I could end that inner conflict? And what is that inner conflict anyway? And I developed a theory that a lot of the inner conflict was the subconscious beliefs that I had, you know, and, and by subconscious, I mean beliefs that I believe to be true, like I believe the sky is blue, like I wasn't questioning them on a regular basis. They weren't consciously in my like, oh, is that true? Is that not true? Like I believed that alcohol relaxed me like, I believe this guy was blue. Mm-hmm. There was no doubt in my mind that was mm-hmm. true. I believed alcohol was fun. No doubt in my mind that was true. No doubt in my mind that alcohol helped me socialize or all of these things. And I was like, wait, are these things true? And so I had this moment where I just decided to find out, <laughs> to be really honest with you. And I started just looking and I, we live in a day and age where I have a master's in science, but I didn't have to have any credentials to just go and log into all sorts of medical journals right. and studies and download all of this incredible research and find out, well, wait a second, no, these things aren't true. In fact, the opposite is true. And so I just went through this process of discovering like, wow, everything I thought alcohol did, it doesn't actually do for me. Mm-hmm. And that was almost a year long process while I was still drinking the whole time, mm-hmm. by the way. But I'd put down the weapons of shame and blame. I'd stop beating myself up for the drinking. I said, you know what? I'm going to find out the truth to this. And I'm going to allow whatever I drink or don't drink. My goal now is not to, to get off this whole roller coaster of setting all these limits for myself, of blaming myself. Like I wanted to end the inner conflict. Mm-hmm. And at first I ended the inner conflict by being like, look, I'm going to go ahead and drink. And that ended the inner conflict. And by the way, it gave me enough space to do all this research. Mm -hmm. And then when I was done with the research, I was like, I don't want to drink anymore. And then guess what? The inner conflict was also ended Mm -hmm. because I didn't want to drink. So I didn't have this conflicting, all these subconscious beliefs about alcohol being beneficial alongside this, you know, very conscious belief that, oh my gosh, if I don't have a drink, I'm not going to have a good enough night or I'm just going to be miserable because I could go without drinking. I would just be miserable about it. I would feel deprived. Right. Like I was missing out. Yeah, I can relate to so much of what you're saying. And it's fascinating that you, as a marketing whiz, didn't even know that you had been targeted by marketers and had bought into the whole story 
about alcohol. And I mean, I did the same thing. I like to say I, I helped spearhead the the mommy wine movement, you know, in the early 2000s. Like, it was just what we did. It was, you know, it's, well, gosh, if you're stressed, if you've had a bad day, if your kids are driving you nuts, you have some wine. If you are happy and you're celebrating something, you have wine. And I love also what you said about the putting down the shame and blame. And as women who work, as women who are mothers, nobody is harder on us than we are on ourselves. And when we are living a life that is not congruent with who we know we are at the core of ourselves, there is nothing that can make us feel worse about ourselves than we are already doing with that internal dialogue. So I like that you were able to just sort of remove the shame and the blame and just examine it for what it is. If we could do that in more areas of our life, it would just make it so much easier. I think when the emotion gets so tied up in it, or you have an expectation of how bad things should get before you do anything to change. I think that's where there's such a missed opportunity for so many people who are, you know, not in that, I watch in your lectures talk about the the gray area, you know, who, mm-hmm. there's the people who, who never drink or maybe have a drink at a wedding once a year. And then there's the people that need serious treatment because obviously there are people who cannot stop drinking without medical assistance. But there's so many of us out there who wake up with that panic and that like, what am I doing? This is not congruent with who I am. I was a Pilates instructor. I was a nutritionist. I teach people how to live healthy lives. And yet I was doing this one thing that was sabotaging so many of my good efforts, so many of my good intentions. So I really love what you said about that, about putting down the shame and the blame and just looking at it for what it is. Interesting because as I, you know, research this more and more, so many things, and I and I literally love it when this happens, when you have kind of this, at least for me, because I geek out on this sort of stuff, but I, I have like this theory, right? Yes. And my theory was like, wait a second, what I'm doing with all of this guilt, this inner guilt isn't working. You know, it feels good in the moment, like the very short moment, because it feels like, okay, I'm taking action. Like I need to like, okay, so let me give you just a really good example. Yeah. So I was trying to eat less, number one, gluten, because it makes my stomach hurt. And number Mm -hmm. two, sugar, just because I know that sugar isn't all that good for me. So, But I went to this big party for our Taekwondo gym, and they had this huge cake, and it was like this graduation cake. And so I ate this piece of cake, right? And then I walk out of the party. We're walking back to our hotel room, and I'm like, oh, I'm feeling really bad. So I do what I do because I've, you know, worked on my thinking enough to be like, okay, what is the thought? What is the thought? And Mm -hmm. I hear the thought and the thought is I shouldn't have eaten that piece of cake. And that thought sounds so innocent to us. Like it sounds so innocent. It's like, okay, if I don't tell myself what I should and shouldn't do, then I'm just going to go off the rails and I'm just going to be sitting in front of Netflix eating cake all day long. (laughs) Like, of course I have to keep myself on point here. And and so we form this belief that we have to be controlling, Mm -hmm. you know, and we have to tell ourselves what we should and shouldn't do. And we have to like needle in this guilt and this shame and this, this like negative emotion around the things that we're doing. Because if we don't, oh, it's all going to go insane, right? Right, right. <laughs> but then I was like, okay, well, 
I put it through the filter that I use in my books, which is basically the ACT technique. So it's mm-hmm. awareness, clarity, turnaround. And in the clarity, it's like, okay, how does this thought make me feel and behave? Mm-hmm. And so I said, oh, I shouldn't have be- eaten a piece of cake. Well, it makes me feel bad. It makes me feel out of control. It makes me feel guilty. It makes mm-hmm. me feel upset with myself. It makes me mad at myself. And how does it make me behave? If I wouldn't have addressed the thought, it would have made me be like, okay, well, let's go upstairs and eat some gummy bears because, you know. We already blew it. Whatever. We already feel lousy. I already feel like crap. So yeah, Mm -hmm. mine as well. And so I said, okay, well, what's a better thought? And I always try to reach for a thought that's super believable, that just feels a little bit better. That's like the key. And so I said, okay, I ate the piece of cake and it wasn't worth it. And then how does that make me feel? Well, it gives me total responsibility for it. Like, okay, I did that. Like, I'm not beating myself up. It's just a a statement of fact. I did it. Like, I Mm -hmm. feel... Like I have the power now. Like I actually made a choice, not just that I'm I'm blaming myself. And it wasn't worth it. How does that make me behave? Well, next time I'd be like, oh, I remember that. That wasn't worth it. But guess what? I'm not going to remember it with all that negativity that the right. should had brought in. And so I think that it's just so interesting because we use these tools and we think they're effective because mm-hmm. they make us feel bad. But all of the science now says that the thing that predicates any behavior change is not negative emotion. Negative emotion can do it in the short term, mm-hmm. but it's actually positive emotion. Yes. Right? It's positive emotion around, okay, well, if I don't eat it next time because I realized that you know it wasn't worth it, then that positive, oh, I feel proud of myself. And that actually makes us more likely to do it, where the shame and the blame and the negative emotion makes us more likely to do the thing we didn't want to do. Exactly. I can relate to that so much. When I found your book, I put it on my earbuds and would listen to it over and over again. And what it did for me was change my perception around so many things, mainly alcohol, but also the choices I made, you know, when I came out of cancer treatment, I had to really, I always had a healthy diet, but I had to change a lot of things. I had chronic inflammation, so I had to cut out the gluten and I have to really watch my sugar. And I went through a a period of being really resentful and pissed off, you know, like, oh, great. So I can't drink. I can't have gluten. I can't have inflammatory foods. I can't have fried food. And what did that make me think about? Drinking, fried food, gluten, all the things. When I listened to your book, several times, I had this shift of feeling just completely empowered. Like, well, yeah, I can drink. I can go to the store and get myself a bottle of wine. I don't want to anymore. Ew. And also, I'm a really smart, pulled together woman. And I have been played by these marketers like a puppet on a string. And I'm above that. I'm too smart for that the gig is up. That's it. So when I looked at it that way and I do the same thing, and there are times where I'll say, you know what? I am going to have gluten. I am going to have fried food because I want to, and I know that I'll pay a little price for it. And I'm willing to pay that price because I really want some onion rings or something like that with my, with my burger. But your technique was so empowering. And I think you shared about the alcohol and the sugar. How can you talk to you touched on it briefly, but what's going on in today's world? And, you know, I see so many of us beating ourselves up for what we think things should look like during 
an unprecedented time. So talk to me a little bit about that, because I know that you've expanded this naked mind methodology to sort of encompass many, many things. You know, it's interesting. So I took Instagram off my phone last week. And it's funny because my Instagram feed is like probably like it's the most positive. Like I follow all these super influential, inspirational people. They always have a positive message. Like I definitely have really culled my feed to be something that usually serves me. Right. Yes. But right now I was finding that my emotion was vacillating between feeling super lazy and just wanting to hunker down and bake cookies with my kids and watch a movie. Yeah. And then frantic because I'd get on Instagram and everybody's like, now's the time. Like you can come out of this with the best body ever. Like <laughs> you have so much time. You can read, write your book. Like, I mean, everybody's saying like King Lear was written during quarantine or something oh, yeah, like yeah. that. <laughs> I read that one too. I'm like, oh, really? Come on. Right. And so I was like, okay, this is the worst. I'm feeling frantic and lazy. Like this is a horrible combination. Right? Nothing this good sucks. can come from this. <laughs> no. And so I was like, okay, I have to take away the frantic. And then I saw this beautiful post. I believe it was like the Truman Center Counseling Service. Hopefully I'm getting the citation right. But anyway, they just posted Maslow's hierarchy of needs and mm. they like just showed in the whole hierarchy of needs. So at the very top, obviously you have self-actualization and at the bottom you have your safety and mm. they just had an arrow to the safety <laughs> and they said, you are here and just wait a second, just take a breath and realize that in a global pandemic, as of the time of this recording, you know, more people have died in New York city than in nine 11, mm -hmm. like, we're worried about our safety. We're mm -hmm. worried about the safety of our parents. We're worried about the safety of our grandparents. We're mm -hmm. worried about safety. Yes. So like just take a moment and realize that on the hierarchy of needs, until that safety is filled, you're not going to be able to do anything else. And so just let yourself totally off the hook for all the color-coded schedules, for all of the, I'm not doing enough for my kids. I'm losing my temper, whatever. Just don't worry because all you're doing is worry about safety. Yes. And you need to fill your safety bucket. And one of the best ways I think to do that is to get back into the focusing on the things you can control. Mm -hmm. All of us, if you think about our awareness, right? And I love how I think it's Tony Robbins says, what you focus on, you feel. And so think about what you're focusing on right now. And at the beginning of this, for me, before I did things like remove Instagram and only let myself check the news, and I, I go directly to the stats page once a day just yes. to look at what's happening. And that's all I do. I have not watched a single broadcast of news mm -hmm. and I'm very intentional and people could be like, well, you're not staying informed. No, I'm staying informed of like what is happening with my kid's school, yes. what's happening with the things around me in terms of like, do I need to wear a mask when I go out to the grocery store? Mm -hmm. Like what's happening? What is the governor of Colorado saying? Stuff mm -hmm. like that. Yes. We're going to be informed, but anything more than that is putting all of my focus and all of my awareness on things that I can't control. And so your happiness and your mental health is literally directly related to how much focus you put on things you can't control. And we know this is true. If we start to put all our focus on our child's behavior, how happy are we? Right. Can we control our child's behavior really? No. no. We can hopefully influence it if we have really good rapport mm -hmm. with our kids, but we can't control it. When we start to put all our focus on our spouse's behavior or our mother-in-law's behavior or the world's, oh my gosh, everybody's being so negative about this. Like anything that we put our focus on things we can't control, we get really emotionally upset. Mm-hmm. 
And so to fill your safety bucket so that maybe you can progress up a little higher on the hierarchy of needs, you have to let yourself off the hook, number one, and then you have to say, okay, what can I control? And Mm. I realize, okay, the things that I control is getting outside. Yes. At least once a day. I can control that. I can sit outside on my porch in a chair and just get some sun. Yes. (laughs) I can control that. I can control taking vitamin C every single day and Mm -hmm. like boosting my immune system and making sure everybody in my family is taking vitamin C every single day, right? I can control, you know, just little things like maybe it's a meditation for you or maybe it's reading a good book. Mm -hmm. And by the way, I can control deleting Instagram from my phone. And so as soon as we start to focus on the things we can control, but it's just taking a step back and saying, okay, not going to let the tail wag the dog. Like that's what's mm-hmm. happening to so many of us right now is we're just like, well, we have to be. And and it's interesting because if you look at something like 9-11 in comparison, mm-hmm. was it on the news 24-7? Yes, it was. Was it intense for all of us? Were we glued to it? Yes, we were. But did it end relatively quickly? Because it was an incident, right? Right. And yes, was there ongoing fear and stuff? And some yes. people definitely got really sucked up in that. But it wasn't this, this is happening as we speak and unfolding every single day. Mm-hmm. So the level of, it's really technically called pre-traumatic stress that's happening right now, oh. where we are traumatizing ourselves in the present about things that may or may not happen in the future. And even if they happen, by the way, they're not going to happen how you expect. So it really isn't a good use of your time. And it's stuff you can't control. But there is a real thing called pre-traumatic stress. And mm. so many of us are doing it to ourselves by putting our focus and attention on the things that we, we can't control. And just, you know, really letting yourself off the hook realizing you're just in a safety, you're worried about safety and you got to get that good. And you can do that by just focusing on the things you can control and starting to feel a little more secure in your own life. That's brilliantly said. I love that. I love that about the bucket, the safety bucket. So important right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have a thing that I say whenever I start to feel overwhelmed. My friend Lolly taught it to me years ago, but it's just take a deep breath right now. At this moment, you are safe. (laughs) And I say that with my older children and I'm teaching it to Aubrey because I love that. That's a great thing. I'm going to post the hierarchy of needs on the link and share it with our listeners. I think that's a great thing to reflect upon. Tell me a little bit about what you're doing now. I think you just started recently, the Naked Mind online coaching and things like that that you're offering. Tell me about that. So it's super exciting. The first two weeks that everything started to happen, we had all sorts of plans, right? As everybody does. We had a oh yes. we had a um, coaches retreat coming up that we were all going to fly to Arizona. We had a live event coming up, all sorts of things. And of course, everything just gets derailed. And mm-hmm. so I went to my entire team and said, okay, what ideas does everybody have about what people need right now? You know, we've got lots of Facebook groups where there's tens of thousands of people in them. It's just like, everybody go have a look, find out what is the need and how can we fill it. And so what we did is we went and we, everybody came back with lots of great ideas and we really realized that people needed, you know, connection and coaching more than ever before. And so we launched something within a week. We just kind of figured out how to do it. And we have 58 certified this Naked Mind coaches, which Victoria, I know you are soon to be joining the ranks. It's very exciting. Yes, I am. (laughs) (laughs) And so almost all of them, I said, hey, would you guys want 
you just volunteer your time to coach. And people, you know, we're, most of us, I'd say as coaches in this sphere, like we're in it for the heart, <laughs> like we're in it to help. Oh, yeah. And Absolutely. by the way, we know it's a service to us to serve others. We know it fills our buckets. We know that we mm-hmm. get so much out of it. And so everybody's like, yes, me, me, me. And so we launched yeah. um, TNM Connection. It's at tnmconnection.com. So that's the Snake and Mind Connection. And basically what it is, is every single day on this Naked Mind Facebook page, a coach is going live or I'm going live at 11 a.m. Mountain Time. And we're just answering questions, helping people out, you know, talking about lots of stuff. So many people are like, I had like six months alcohol free and now I'm drinking because of this. And of course, the traditional Mm -hmm. response is like, oh, well, you better get back on the wagon. And my response is like, whoa, 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 let yourself off the hook. <laughs> Take mm-hmm. a breath. There's nothing wrong. Yes. You're going to be mm-hmm. fine. And this is all just part of it. You know, this is not a failure. This is just a little bump in the road. And so, really, just expressing that message over and over again. And then every evening, from I think on mountain time, it's from four to eight mountain time. And so that, that adjusts, but basically we are doing live coaching. So anybody can just dial in. It's a zoom meeting and get coached on whatever's going on with them. And so there's coaches in there just coaching for four hours a night and we hope to keep it going through May at this point. So. Wow. And that's a free service, a free zoom call that anyone can get on. You can ask questions or not just observe and listen and I'll tell you just, you know, I, I am a coach in training. Thank you for this opportunity. But the nuggets of wisdom that I get from learning this methodology is it, oh my gosh, it, it's so much more than just about alcohol. And I know that, you know, you're expanding your reach and, and you're going to be doing sugar tracks and nicotine tracks and, and all the things, all the maladaptive behaviors that we can take on social media things like that. So if you're listening and maybe, you know, alcohol isn't your thing that wakes you up in the middle of the night and you go, ah, this doesn't align with who I really am. Maybe it's something else, but this methodology is applicable to all the things. And all my listeners know that I talk about the things and what color shirt is yours, you know? So if your shirt is alcohol or if it's sugar or social media, whatever your shirt color is, this is something that you should tune in and, and just listen and observe and just soak it in and, and fill up that safety bucket. Any questions can come. I mean, the coaches are trained to deal mm-hmm. with any, any questions. And even if your shirt, by the way, is a loop of fear, because I think so many people's shirt is that, right? Like we actually think that we're mm. doing something. And I can think of actually a few people that I won't name off the top of my head who who really feel like they are, we all want control. We all want some safety. And they think, okay, I'm going to find it mm-hmm. by being the most informed person ever and by informing everybody else, Right. And so that was me (laughs) during cancer. Yes, I knew just enough to be dangerous. And I was the perfect cancer patient. And I had all the info and it didn't work out the way I hoped anyway. So (laughs) yeah. And that's the thing is like, you have to recognize like, sometimes that's brilliant. And sometimes that's great. Like knowing all that information, but sometimes we're actually just doing it to like grasp at something. It it gave me a sense of control and and it came, it stemmed from fear. It stemmed from fear. fear. So, and I think that by the way is, I mean, really the crux of my work is saying, okay, whatever action that I'm taking at this moment, what is the emotion driving it? mm. Because if the emotion driving it is fear, 
then the action isn't probably going to serve us how we hoped. But if the emotion driving it is love or is hope or is peace, Mm -hmm. then we have a totally different outcome, right? And of course, those emotions, if you go a layer deeper, really do. And it's very hard for people to believe when they first start looking at this, but Mm -hmm. it is really true. They come from our thoughts. Emotions come from our thinking. We're just not aware of that because a lot of our thinking is repetitive on a loop and subconscious. So, so much of the things that go through our head every day, we don't even notice until we start to become aware. And then it's like opening an attic and be like, oh gosh, it's dirty in there. Close the door. Cobwebs in there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Start to become really aware. But, Mm -hmm. um, but again, you can, you know, change you really, we do have so much control of what we think and it does take effort because our brain's they can change, but they need they need effort. But it also takes emotion, and so we can we can actually change our entire experience of life by getting saying, okay, wait a second. Instead of all of these different shirts, I'm going to put on all of these different escapes. I'm going to go right to the source. You know, I I like this analogy, and I forget whose it is, but basically the idea is that there's all these people, and they're frantically pulling people out of the river who had been pulled into the river and they're drowning and and they're like, and they're getting all their friends to help pull people out of the river. Let's save all these people in the river. Let's save all Mm -hmm. these people in the river. And then somebody says, Hey, wait a second, let's walk up stream and find out where they're falling in. Right. And I think that all the things that we do, to feel better in the moment, by the way, we have to let ourselves out the hook yes. from because we're doing the best we can with the tools we have. Like that's what we're doing, but they're all like yes. just pulling ourselves out of the river. You know, they're so reactive, but if we take a minute mm-hmm. to walk upstream and be like, wait a second, where are we falling in? And where we're falling in is in these repetitive thought patterns that we're not yet aware of that we've probably been thinking since we were children to some degree mm-hmm. that are mm-hmm. controlling our lives. And we can change those. We really do have that level of control to change those. Now it will take time and it will take awareness. It will take work, but that's what this naked mind coach is trained to do is help you change those thought patterns, no matter what they're about. It's like, right. okay, forget all the the ways, you know, drinking maybe a way that we're pulling ourselves out of the river temporarily, or maybe we're falling into a Netflix binge and pulling ourselves out of this emotional mm-hmm. discomfort temporarily. But a mm-hmm. coach is designed to like back you all the way up to the source and say, where are you falling in? Cause let's fix that. Yes. And then we won't even have to pull you out. That's a great way to put it. And yeah, what I've found with the help of your coaching and, you know, learning to reframe my thoughts is that it's, I'm not flailing in a river anymore. There's such an ease to it and it has taken out so much of that internal battling and the negative self-talk and all of that. And what I've found in in exchange for that is that it's like I freed up 80% of my brain space, you know, because all of that back and forth bickering that was going on in my head has cleared up. And if it, if it comes back, I can take a moment and use the act technique and identify where it's coming from. And in replacement, I've found this whole other level of creativity and freedom in my thinking and in my life that I never thought I could do. I never thought I'd be sitting here doing a podcast, you know, especially like, where'd this come from? I'm a fitness person, a health, a nutritionist, but it's just when you find that freedom and it really is a freedom, there's no deprivation, there's no resentment. There is just a freedom. And you look at life and say, 
oh, wow, there's so much more to this. We get so confused because we think that that all comes with negative emotion, right? We think that mm-hmm. all comes with that deprivation that you were speaking of, or this idea of, mm-hmm. oh, I'm going to be missing out. I'm not going to be social with my friends. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. And that's all just thinking that's got confused. Mm-hmm. But the reality is that when you come to that, when you're not in the river, it's almost like surprising. You just look around your life and you're like, huh, it's not a wreck around here. You look around your attic. If we go back to the attic analogy, I'm like the queen of analogies, but if we go back yeah. to the attic analogy and, and we open up the attic of our own minds, we look around and we're like, wow, I've turned on some candles and I've I've cleaned up and I've got this nice rug and yeah. it's cozy and I have an armchair and a really good book. And, you know, look, the windows are clean and I can see the trees outside. And it's like, mm-hmm. this is a nice place to be. There was so much of my life, I'd say until probably the last five or six years, really, where I couldn't be with myself in my own head comfortably. And what that would look like is if I got in the car, like literally immediately I had to turn on a book on tape. Yep. And now if I get in the car, I'm like, I'm just going to just let my thoughts be, you know, if I woke up and God forbid, I would, I would think or be alone with my mind. I'd be up and at it and checking my phone and, mm-hmm. and running and doing and going because I could not comfortably be in the space of my own mind. It was not a comfortable place to be. But uh, yeah, so when you fix that, it's it's just peaceful and it's freeing and it's none of the negative thoughts that you think it's going to be. And there's a lot of reasons that is because a lot of people, they change their behavior with willpower, yes. you know? And so they, they're still in the river. They still have the pain, but they're just forcing themselves to stay in the river instead of pulling themselves out and escaping into the next Netflix binge or escaping into the bottle of wine or whatever, mm-hmm. but they're still in the river. So it's like, okay, they're, they're just like forcing it themselves not to escape, yeah. but they're still the pain. Mm-hmm. They haven't gone to the source yes. of where they've fallen in in the first place. Yes. Beautifully said. That's awesome. Well, I think that you have spoken to the things you say are just so relatable to everybody. So I, I just, I, I hope our listeners will take a moment. Don't be afraid of your mind. Sit with it for a minute. Sit with your feelings and think about where this might apply in your own life. And take a listen. Like Annie said, you can get on to this Naked Mind. TNM Connection. TNMConnection.com. And they will send you links to all the calls. And it's free coaching. This is amazing. And just take some time and invest in yourself and show yourself some love and fill up that safety bucket. (laughs) (laughs) And anything else before we head out, Annie? Yeah, I think the number one theme is just to let yourself off the hook right now. Like when you hear those thoughts creeping in, if you hear the word should in your own mind, use it as a big, huge fire alarm to say, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not a word I should be saying to myself. Exactly. Stop and and just really look at that and Mm -hmm. let let be what is and just realize you're doing the best you can Mm -hmm. with the tools you have. Yep. And maybe you're using some tools you're not that happy about right now. That's okay. You know, you, you just have to really the first step, although it's super counterintuitive, is to let yourself off the hook. That is yes. the first step. Show yourself the same kindness you would show to a good friend going through the mm-hmm. same stuff. That's something that I have learned to say to myself whenever I would get into the negative self-talk. I'd say, now, would I say this to my friend? No, mm, I would so not. Good. So I'm not going to say it to myself either. <laughs> 
Yes. Well, thank you for being here, Annie. And looking forward to talking to you later today on our coaching call. And I think that's all for now. Stay safe. Enjoy your family. Enjoy your chicken and popcorn for dinner. (laughs) (laughs) Or whatever whatever they can substitute at the market. We're we're down to very few options at this point, too. So (laughs) we're getting creative in the kitchen. Awesome. But thank you so much. From the bottom of my heart, I'm honored to have had this opportunity to sit with you. Thanks a lot. Take care. Thanks for listening to After the Crisis with Victoria. For more about me, how I can serve your needs, and links to our special guests, please subscribe to this podcast and visit victoriaenglishmartin.com. Also, come on over to our free Facebook group and join our community, After the Crisis with Victoria. I'm offering access to fun, healthy, and thought-provoking content. Additionally, you'll find exclusive programs, workshops, and one-on-one coaching. Until next time, count your blessings, not your burdens. And remember, there is life after the crisis.